0: Supposedly, giving a sermon is kind of like flying a plane. Uh, Like, for instance, right now, the PA system's a little loud. Maybe you can just turn that down a little bit. Uh, It's like flying a plane. The goal is to take a group of people uh, and arrive at a destination, and hopefully to do it safely and on time. Amen on the last part? (laughs) Mm -hmm, Uh, So, like with flying a plane, what can happen is sometimes you have maintenance issues, That might be like when the microphones don't work uh, or uh, the clicker doesn't work or whatever. And sometimes you have a flight plan issue. Guess whose fault that is? (laughs) Yep. Uh, (laughs) Yes, thank you. Prophets, all of you. Uh, Yeah. And so um, sometimes sermons don't really seem like they ever get off the tarmac. It's like you circle, you circle, everybody waits, and then you just drive back to the gate. That was first service for me today. Uh, so we're going to do better right now. We're in Acts chapter 22, and today we purposefully spent a lot more time talking about and praying about our missions effort, and we're spending a little less time on the sermon. So this is very simple message. It just really has the one point. Uh, we hear and we read about a man named Saul, who is a Pharisee, and I'll say some more about what that means in a minute, but Saul is a Pharisee. That's his identity and his life work. And all of that gets changed in a moment when he meets Jesus on the road. And here's the one point. If Saul can become a Christian, anyone can. If Saul can be saved, anyone can. Let's talk about what it means for him to be a Pharisee uh, and what he was doing with his life up until this moment. The Pharisees are the group uh, within the Jewish people that at one point in time had been the restoration movement. They were the back to the Bible people who wanted to purify the people by studying the word and obeying it. And for a while they had a really good influence inside of Judaism. They brought a lot of people back around to serving God and being righteous, which was a word that was very important to them. To be right in God's eyes. To know what the law said and to do it and to honor God by doing it. To love God with all of their being by keeping the Torah, the Old Testament commandments. And Saul is one of their best and their brightest. Now the movement of the Pharisees, though, had changed some over time and they had become, in the time of Jesus, some of his most difficult adversaries. Because their systems the program of how to get righteousness had become pretty dry and legalistic. And some people who were in the program really didn't even have faith. It was just a way to get ahead in the world. But here we have Saul in the middle of a time when righteousness for the Pharisees is a plan who actually has heart for God He's trying to love God with all of his being, his mind, his soul, his heart, and his strength. And he is zealous for God. Zealous would be like the old school word for what we mean today when we say passionate. I'm passionate about football or I'm passionate about my work. Except for for the zealot, they meant I'm actually passionate to the point of death where I would lay it all on the line for this purpose and they told stories amongst the Jews about great zealots from the past and so Saul was brought up in a world where he believed that keeping God's plan of Torah for righteousness was worth dying for and maybe even worth killing for and so we see in his life that his passion for God was misguided What we find him doing in Acts chapter 9 the events when he meets Jesus on the road to Damascus is acting essentially like a religious fundamental terrorist. He's going into towns and arresting Christians and he's even overseeing their executions. He is bludgeoning people into obedience through legislation and through the legal system. And in a few places in scripture, like here in Acts 22, and then in a few other places, he talks about how his life was characterized by violence and persecution, all in the pursuit of loving God. But he didn't see that that meant that he had to love these people who were not righteous as he understood righteousness. So it gave him a pass, a license to kill. And here's the unique thing about this story that we just had read for us today. The event of Saul's conversion is in Acts 9, but the story is retold in Acts 22. And if that's not enough, it gets told again in Acts 26. Three times, and not just three times throughout all of his letters, but three times in the book of Acts, which is very repetitive. And when they're using scrolls with limited space to write all of these events down, you know, why repeat so much of it? And they don't even give, like, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount three times in Matthew, right? Luke, in his gospel, isn't repeating stories three times. He tells them once. But in Acts, the other book that Luke writes, he tells this story three times about the moment When this terrorist is on the road to go arrest more people and suddenly he meets the Lord. And everything changes in a moment. His whole life is stripped away. Uh, Let me read from verse 6. Acts 22, verse 6. He says, "...about noon as I came near Damascus, suddenly..." A bright light from heaven flashed around me, and I fell to the ground, and I heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And I hope you'll underline or highlight the word me. Because who is Saul persecuting? A guy in the sky who shows up with a blinding light? He's persecuting people on the ground, real people who are Christians. But this voice says, why are you persecuting me? And here's two insights from that. The first one is this. All of Saul's life has been built on following the programs of the Torah for righteousness. And now, when that begins to crumble, it's because he meets a person, not a program. It's because he, he, he finds an individual that replaces all the institutions that he was a part of. And that person is Jesus. And this cannot be said too many times. That when people worship God, whatever they think that means, they can so easily go astray, we all do, into these kind of excesses where we judge the way other people worship God. We maybe even get violent about it or judgmental about the way other people worship God. But when Saul meets the me on the road that's Jesus that says why are you persecuting me he meets the person Jesus through whom God's perfectly revealed so when we as Christians talk about following God we're not talking about whatever abstract ideas might be in our head or whatever misformed things might have been done to us because we had a bad experience in church or someone we knew was a hypocrite And it twisted our view of God, or we had a terrible father figure. No, when we're talking about knowing God as Christians, we mean specifically God as he is revealed in Jesus, the crucified Savior. That's the God we know. And this is the God who meets Saul, the murderer. So the murdered meets the murderer on the road and says, why are you persecuting me? Here's the second insight. Jesus, in his own teachings, was very clear that he credits us uh, for treating him the way we treat other people. Remember, the great commandment is, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love, everybody say it with me, your neighbor as yourself. Jesus' half-brother got this point. When James wrote his little letter in the New Testament, he said, religion, that God our Father finds pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. But he inverts the way that programs and institutions like the Torah-following Pharisaical school might have put it. It's not keep yourself from being polluted first, and then maybe do some good if you can, It is bless the widows and the orphans and keep yourself from being polluted by the world. And Jesus says this famously uh, when he talks about what it'll be like at the last day when people will come up to Jesus and say, what do you mean that I got credit for clothing you when you were naked? I never even met you. And Jesus will say to them, what you did for the least of these you did for me. When you fed them, you fed me. When you visited them in prison, you visited me. So right now he can say, very fairly, you know, very just here of Jesus to say to Saul, who claims to follow God with all of his being, but is treating people like garbage, why are you persecuting me? And to this, Saul has to ask, he needs to clarify, who am I talking to here? I guess all of us would probably assume, well, this is God, right? But which God are you? He says, who are you, Lord? Lord? I'm Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. And it's in this moment of a personal encounter with Jesus that everything changes for Saul, and that the most unlikely person can become a convert and can be filled with the Holy Spirit. A week ago, we read from Acts 2. As he quoted Joel 2, Peter did about the Holy Spirit coming on the sons and the daughters, and we talked about about 20 daughters that, with the Holy Spirit's power, went out and did incredible work. And today we're looking at just one man who also receives the Holy Spirit, but not because of all of his trying and all of his fighting and all of his quarreling and all of his righteousness-seeking, but because he meets the right one. And this is what Ananias uh, says to him in this text. The first person that tells him to rise up is Jesus. And the second one is Ananias. So Jesus says to him, rise up and go into the city and you'll be told what you should do. From which we learn that Jesus has a plan for him like he has a plan for you and me. And when he gets into the city and he is told what to do, it comes through Ananias, this man who is a Jewish Torah-observing person who became a follower of Jesus Christ it says he was a devout believer in verse 12 an observer of the law and highly respected by all the Jews living there and he Ananias stood beside me and he said brother Saul receive your sight and at that moment I was able to see him and then he said the God of our fathers has chosen you for what to know him know his will and to see the righteous one. He didn't choose you because you were righteous. The whole life pursuit of the Pharisees, to be righteous and to force other people to be righteous. He chose you to know the will and see the righteous one, Jesus and to hear words from his mouth. And you will be his witness to all men of what you've seen and heard. So what are you waiting for? Rise up, get up, and be baptized, and wash away your sins, and call on his name. So really he's just told uh, two things and they're the same thing. How does he rise up? And changes life and become the most unlikely convert that Christianity has ever seen. Uh, Two things, and they're the same thing. One, is he becomes a witness about Jesus to the world. He stops preaching his righteousness and his systems and he teaches Jesus. And two, he's baptized. Which from the beginning was simply to in an enactment through your body to witness about Jesus' death and burial and resurrection and tell the story in your flesh two ways to rise up and they're both the same thing to witness about Jesus the righteous one so later when he writes the book of Romans he can truly say many of my kinsmen my Jewish fellow relatives and followers they were zealous for God but they didn't know how to be righteous they were making up righteousness on their own and then he'll say now righteousness been has been revealed through Jesus Christ, the righteous one. This is why we give our money to missions. This is what we invite people to participate in every week right here. This is why we're here this morning, so that people will see the righteous one and hear about him, Jesus We don't offer all of this money and encourage the kids to give it so that missionaries can go out and impose American values or a certain system of worship on all of the other nations of the world. We do it so that they will tell the stories about Jesus. And that in meeting Jesus, all of us will experience together those moments when we're blinded to everything we thought we knew and given fresh sight for what we had never seen before through Him. And that's what we uh, offer to the world and to each other. And as we sing our invitation song this morning, we hope that maybe some of you will respond to that same Jesus. Uh, We'll have elders in the back to pray with you. And as always, you can come and pray up here with me uh, and Dominic, who's sitting right here with me. uh, Or you can come pray with the praise team. They'll put down the mic and pray with you. Or come pray with the Spanglers. They'll pray with you. But please, come come down and pray or pray with our elders in the back. Let's sing this song.